What's up, NBA fans? We are officially in the second round semifinals of the NBA playoffs. The first round has gone and done I mean, with only one sweep, and that was surprisingly, well, not if you were watching the games, it wasn't a surprise. But if you were to say this at the beginning of the year, that the Nets would be the only team to be swept in this year's playoffs, that would definitely be a surprise. The Pelicans were hard fought against the Suns, but it just wasn't quite enough with the return of Devin Booker, who closed them out in that game six. Um, the Grizzlies close out the Timberwolves to make it up, make advance on and the 76ers advance on. But unfortunately, they leave Joel Embiid's health behind and hopefully they can still come back and in their series here in the semifinals but we'll be breaking all that down and more including the exciting series that is the grizzlies versus warriors that has definitely lived up to the hype bucks and celtics has also been a good one um heat and 76ers 2-0 not quite as much noise being made in those games and suns versus dallas dallas is fighting violently in each one of those games but back to john morant uh Sean, to start the podcast off, you got a you got a trivia question around him, and it's only appropriate given the unreal performance he gave in Game Two last night. Yeah, Alan, and I feel like this trivia question is more of a formality than anything, more just praising John Morant than anything, because I know you know <laughs> the answer to this. If anyone knew the answer to this question, it'd be you. But last night, John Morant became the third player ever to score over 45 points in multiple playoff games before the age of 22 years old. Absolutely insane. So, Alan, yeah, do me the honors of naming the other two players that have done this. Oh, this is too easy. <laughs> this this is this was being thrown around a lot. That's also why. But even watching the game, it totally gave me flashbacks of. Uh, a young Derek Rose, a young Kobe, uh, young LeBron, just guys that were in there and not only just surviving through the first round, but being difference makers and carrying their team to to advance. And in and in those latest rounds, being a difference maker to help the team win. And yeah, who were the other two? LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, right? Yep. It just it has to be those two guys <laughs> in the nice playoffs making <laughs> noise. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure. I think John Moran even tweeted a uh, quote tweeted on that stat, something about mm -hmm. being surprised and honored to be in that same sentence with those oh, two yeah. guys. Yeah. Any, any statistic where you are alone with LeBron and Kobe in is likely a very good statistic. Oh yeah, for sure. And John Moran, I'm sure went home dancing. Um, but before <laughs> we go, even break into talk more about John Moran, the Memphis Grizzlies, we got to chat about the first, game that started off the second round on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I believe if I remember right, Bucks and Celtics now tied one, one to one. And this has been uh, not quite the excitement, offensive excitement, I guess of the Warriors and Grizzlies as these are two great defensive minded teams going head to head against each other. in the Eastern in the Eastern conference semifinals, the Bucks dominating game one, the Bucks just totally making the Celtics play the way they wanted them to. The Celtics took 50, of their 84 shots from three-point range and knocked down only 36% of them, which is which is not not bad. But when you consider the Bucks had 28 fast break points, forced the Celtics into turnovers, and just limited any second chance opportunities for the Celtics. And on the other end, they got plenty of those second chance opportunities and dominated the boards and really led to to a really dominant fashion for the Bucks to walk away um, with the win. And another call out there is like the Bucks pushed them into deep non non corner threes where the league average is 35% and their strategy fell right into their hands. The Celtics took threes and just did not knock them down and just took them out of their game mm -hmm. in that first game. Yeah. The Bucks um, came out swinging, you know, and mm -hmm. I think this was a wake up call for the Celtics because I mean, like you said before, they were the only team that swept their first round playoff series mm -hmm. To the surprise of many and against a team where i mean the nets work is still until the very end considered one of the favorites to win the title and they just get their teeth knocked in and the celtics are feeling you know pretty good about themselves their playoff probabilities are rising their their title probabilities are rising and then the bucks are like wait we're still the champions of the league mm -hmm. let's not forget and they came out and you know without chris middleton they they really slapped them in the face and I, I was surprised, honestly. I did not think the Celtics would come out 
uh, without that same fire and without Middleton and be able to pull off something like this um, away as well. The Celtics being the home team, but Giannis just looked unstoppable. I think he was definitely a change of pace from what they had come to get used to with guarding Kevin Durant. Giannis is a totally different beast, and even though he didn't shoot well, he was still able to get a triple-double in this game, facilitate. They could not stop him or any of the passes that he made, and his teammates were knocking down shots, and that was the big deal. And Drew Holiday had 25 points in that game one as well. Um, a lot of their role players were playing really well in their roles, and yeah, the Bucks just showed that they can, they can still win this thing. They can still make it as far as they need to possibly um, until Middleton comes back, until they can get the full force back. Yeah, and then on that note of role players, Milwaukee went with Bobby Portis to mm. help fill that void, and Bobby Portis came out and played played pretty pretty well. Fifteen points, eleven rebounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Holiday played well as as well, but I think this the story there is just lim- somehow the Bucks figured out a way to limit the powerhouse. That is the Boston Celtics, but the story completely flipped here in game two where the Celtics actually knocked down their shots, found a little bit, a bit more fluidity in their team and a bit more synergy on their shots, knocking down 46% from three on 43 attempts. So they did the same. The, the, the Celtics did what the Bucks wanted them to, to do, which is to shoot from outside and rely on that outside shot. The difference this time was the Celtics adjusted and took the shots that they wanted as opposed to being letting the Bucks dictate which shots they were taking. Um, 28 assists on those 38 made field goals. It was like the, the t- prototypical dive and dish and swing the ball around until you found the guy, the open guy with enough rhythm and energy to knock it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's an interesting stat entering this series. The Celtics had never had um, a playoff game in franchise history where they attempted more threes than twos. So far in this series, it's now happened in both of these games. Hmm. This is the Mike Budenhauser strategy. Again, is push the team to take deep non-corner threes um, and play the game of math and dominate inside. It worked in game one, but in game two, the Celtics were able to adjust and take that to their advantage. And it also hurt the Bucks tremendously that they shot 16% from three. <laughs> yeah. And attempted and made the lowest number of threes in any single game in the Budenhauser Era. This is all to say that this game showed that they miss Middleton. What we oh, didn't yeah. see in game one, we saw it in game two, where <laughs> the offense was stagnant. And when they couldn't force the Celtics into turnovers and into missed shots, they had a hard time scoring the ball. Yeah. And I mean, this was just, the, this has been the greatest seesaw battle of this mm-hmm. second round, right? Because I mean, the Bucks just dominate game one and the Celtics just come out and cream them in game two. And this game was over at halftime. I think it was like 65 to 40 at halftime. Granted, Memphis has come back from larger <laughs> deficits in a playoff series before. But yeah, it's just it's crazy to see just the, the counter punch that we're seeing from both these teams and how they're both just dominating each other on different nights. And I mean, part of it is like, yeah, like you said, they attempted more threes than twos, but they were draining their threes the whole first Mm -hmm. half. I think Jalen Brown had like 25 points at half and he was five for five from three. And you're not going to win if Jalen Brown's shooting that well. And like they they didn't even have Marcus Smart this game, right? He was out with like a hip for a thigh contusion or something. And Derek White started and did like nothing. And it, it didn't even matter. So I mean, you're talking about a guy that's like defensive player of the year, not even being there. And they still are able to hold Milwaukee to 86 points. That's yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you break it down, this was an unreal game. Jason Tatum. I, I mean, yeah, Jason Tatum, 50% from three, 29 points. Yeah. Jalen Brown, 60% from three, 30 points. And I think, we shout out to Bobby Portis in game one. Well, game two, the role player hero of the game is Grant Williams, mm, yeah. um, who Grant Williams did. I mean, this guy deserves a shout out. I mean, I think he sort of blends in as just another role player, but he was a key part in their in their attack against Durant and also a key part in their ability to just sort of switch on yeah. everything. Small and Grant Williams, is, mm-hmm. yeah, Grant Williams can literally just guard anybody and Giannis is a problem for anybody, but 
Grant Williams has answered the call and did a great job on Giannis, or at least did the best he could have. And he wasn't just out there as a defensive player. He actually, on the offensive end, 21 points, 66% from three. I doubt he'll shoot like that again from three. <laughs> but still, the fact that he can get himself up to 21 points, seven for 14, um, yeah. it's, it's a pretty pretty good, pretty good sign for the Celtics moving forward. Yeah, obviously, I feel like it's not going to be something where you're going to see these guys shooting this well the whole series mm-hmm. 46% <laughs> from 3 is not sustainable um but i don't know maybe maybe we'll see um a little bit of normalizing in game 3 and it'll be a little closer game yeah we'll see what happens when we go back to Milwaukee perhaps the bucks adjust and and find a way to not shoot 16% from 3 like 3 for 18 abysmal shooting there from from them and adjust defensively and try to get try to force some more turnovers off the Celtics team so they can get out and do what they do best which is run and score and transition but at the same time it's so tough this is such a good Celtic team that has you know good cohesiveness amongst all of them so it's quite the task for Mike Budenhauser um so with all that said Sean series is tied 1-1 where do you see this going? Who who's who are you leaning towards to to close this out and take the win into oh, the conference finals? This is very difficult, my friend. That's a very difficult question. I was about to ask you the same one. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going back to Milwaukee now. But technically, the Bucks have stolen home court advantage, so mm-hmm. that does swing things in their favor a bit, and they have the opportunity to adjust what the Celtics just did. So I yeah hmm. I think that I am more confident in the Celtics pieces overall than I am in the Bucks pieces because you're still relying on guys like Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen at the end of the day. And I don't think that that's enough. And the Celtics with, you know, between all of their starters are solid and Grant Williams coming off the bench. I think those pieces are stronger overall than what the Bucks currently have um, between Drew Holiday and Giannis. So I'm gonna give yeah. it to the Celtics right now. I don't want. I don't want to. I feel like the Bucks should, should to pull it out. But I, I think my gut's telling me the Celtics are gonna do it. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you on that. I think. I think game one. I got the feeling at you know once the fourth midway through that fourth quarter when the Bucks went on a big run that the Celtics sort of called it in and they're like, okay, we'll give you this one, and then they came back in game two and I saw good adjustments made and. And frankly, you just look at the pieces and the Celtics just have so many much, so many more and better chess pieces to work with than the Bucks do. But the Celtics just look like if it comes down to a game of a, a back and forth of adjustments, the Celtics are going to win out. Mm-hmm. The Bucks not having Middleton is, is a big blow because again, offense gets stagnant. They don't have that go-to score and Middleton was huge in that series against the Suns and find getting a basket when, when they needed one. Without that, it's tough to break down the Celtic defense. So yeah. I'm gonna give it to them too. I think I think six six games. Six games, I think they can do it in six. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that seems fair. But if it goes seven, I wouldn't be surprised either. Ooh. Yeah, I guess seven <laughs> games, anything's possible if you're going back to Mo uh oh no, you'd be going to Boston. It would be That's in Boston. A tough one. And I think it could go yeah. either way. Yeah. All right, so now moving on to really the the hype, the hype series, the 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 real prime time one, Memphis Grizzlies Warriors series tied one one. Both series, both games have been living up to the hype, resulting in nail biting finishes right down to the wire. Heroics um, from Jordan Poole, John Morant, even Jaron Jackson finally breaking out and having himself a great memorable game getting over 30 minutes who would have known game one yeah you've been waiting for that one haven't you yeah i was like <laughs> what is going on your is jaron jackson even going to be playable in the playoffs is he just destined to be the most expensive guy getting 20 minutes a game in the playoffs but <laughs> he found a way to stay on the floor in game one uh really i think what to start things off for game one payton the re- starting the move from steve kerr to start gary payton and move Jordan Poole and bring back Steph Curry. Uh, I mean, brilliant move, really. There was a bit of a head-scratcher, I think, if you didn't really watch this. If you haven't been watching 
Gary Payton played throughout the year, but it's slowly been building up. I mean, that's just the name of the Warriors, isn't it? Guys just get better mm-hmm. every day on this team somehow. <laughs> yep. Just by being around Draymond Green and Steph Curry, it makes you a better basketball player. Yeah, it's unreal. But Gary Payton is a bona fide true defender, perimeter defender in this in this league now, really giving Morant yep. and those guys a hard time. Uh, the other story, I think, is the Warriors beating the Grizzlies on the boards plus five. I think I'm cheering on Memphis, not going to lie. And it has been <laughs> infuriating to watch how the small ball Warriors just beat the Grizzlies to the board. It seems seemingly every single possession, obviously by plus five is not huge, but for a team that like the Grizzlies that should be dominating the Warriors on the boards, it's, it's a pretty big reason why I think that these games have still continued to be close. Jordan Poole, 31 points and Jaron Jackson over 30 minutes, 33 points and 10 rebounds after only averaging 21 minutes in the first round has himself a hell of a game in game one. Yeah, yeah, really good to see Jaron Jackson finally become at least a shadow of the player that he was in the NBA bubble before he got hurt Mm -hmm. when he was basically getting like 30 points a game. His shot looked remarkable. He has a very weird shot. Yeah, it's almost like he pushes the ball. It just doesn't seem like it should work, but he makes it work when he needs to. And I think it's only going to get better as time goes on. Um, So we're seeing him finally playing well. I mean. Man, Jordan Poole did, I mean, while Gary Payton did his best on Morant this game, Jordan Poole off the bench was the big story. Mm -hmm. I mean, the dude gets relegated back because, I mean, yeah, you can't play Steph Curry off the bench unless you're just sacrilegious. And then Poole goes off for 31, 9, and (laughs) 8. It's just, man, it's unbelievable what this guy is doing this year. Yeah. Unbelievable. 12 for 20, 5 for 10 from 3. I mean, I mean, most of these two of his points came from the free throw lights. So this guy was just shooting lights out. Um, but I guess it's easy when you got Clay Thompson and Steph Curry distracting, distracting the perimeter defenders on the Grizzlies on the other end. But I mean, the Warriors just do what the Warriors do. They're smart. They're quick. Uh, they take advantage of of turnovers. And I mean, the Grizzlies on the other end again. Back to the rebounding thing, just because it just annoyed me so much. It's <laughs> the, the Warriors to be fair the, the Grizzlies aren't that big either like Brandon Clark is not huge I know but still like you got Oder Porter Jr. Andrew Wiggins out rebounding <laughs> the Memphis bigs that's infuriating yeah. 16 offensive rebounds for the Warriors and converted on most of those in this game one yeah and, way more hustle yeah just hustle second chance opportunities and you would think when you get a brilliant game like this, 34 points from John Morant, 33 points from Jaron Jackson. Um, Steph Curry shoots five for 12 from the three point line. Not great. It's okay. 24 points. Uh, you would think you would walk away with a win, but Jordan Poole's heroics was enough uh, to get them over the edge here and get the Warriors that the win in game one. Um, yeah, but it was only a one point win. Let's remember, mm-hmm. which granted, you know, it's in Memphis. So the fact that the Warriors won the game at all is still a huge story. But something about them in the clutch, they just don't look the same. And then this is something that we did see in game two. They did not look like they knew what they were really doing uh, in the clutch in some of these games. And you know, very unorthodox things we're not used to seeing from this team. Where in the in game one, Clay Thompson misses two mm-hmm. free throws when they're up by one. He could have he had an easy chance to make it three. Any other year where Clay Thompson's healthy, you would expect he makes those free throws like nothing, and he misses both of them. And luckily, he has a pretty good defensive play to make up for it on John Morant on the potential game winner. But the fact that he'd even got to that point. It's very non-Warriors. Yeah. Like, they they should have no problem with that. And then, yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about game two, but we saw the Warriors make a lot of mistakes and a lot of bad shots at the end of the game. Yeah, I forgot about that sequence, about the missed free throws. I was thinking about the missed layup from John Morant, but the the missed free throws from Clay Thompson (laughs) to set that up was a huge, huge surprise. And, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about Clay Thompson here, too, because... I think game two is also another dent to, to his, to his, to his really yeah. his playoff performance overall so far. Um, but I was listening to a podcast with uh, Jalen and Jacoby and they were talking about John Moran. I think it's a good transition to game two is 
John Moran, they run that play and they ran that play against the Timberwolves as well. Moran drives, goes left, nails the, the layup. This time around, yeah. the Warriors kind of knew, I think, what was coming. Clay Thompson mm-hmm. rotates over. So they forced John Moran into a pretty, pretty lengthy, uh, weird layup that goes a little hard yeah. off the backboard. And in game two, they run a similar sequence. And instead, and this is late in the game again, instead of uh, John Morant going for that left-handed layup, he pops for the floater right over Jordan mm. Poole, which is the also yeah. the play that's going around <laughs> where Jordan Poole kind of breaks, oh, kind of falls a little bit. Oh, yeah, that was dirty. <laughs> yeah, he goes for the floater instead, and he nails that one. And uh, I think that's sort of the story here in game two is, Gary Payton goes out with, you know, call it what you what you want, but I I think it's a heck of a dirty play from my side too, from what oh, I yeah. saw. 100%. Very unfortunate for the Warriors. Gary Payton goes out and John Moran, maybe maybe this isn't causation, but still John Moran goes for 47 points, 15 for 31, 5 for 12 and scored yeah. the last 15 points for Memphis starting at the 416 yeah. mark and that floater I just mentioned was a huge piece piece of that to to Locked the game in for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, and he and you could tell the the whole game plan for Memphis down the stretch was have Jaw hunt down Jordan Poole, mm-hmm. have whoever Jordan Poole's on come set a screen for Jaw and get Poole on him, and there's nothing Jordan Poole could have done. Oh yeah, and I mean I didn't see a lot of Jordan Poole and Steph Curry and Klay Thompson out there in game one. But in game two, Steph, I mean, without Gary Payton, Steve Kerr went with that. Yeah, you have no choice. Yeah. yeah. And this was the lineup that was killing teams during the regulars towards the towards the later later part of the regular season and in the first round. But against this Grizzlies team on I mean, they were they were, they were scoring well. But on the other end, this was the lineup that John Morant was really hunting for and really started picking apart. Um, I think once he realized he started, you know, shimmy shaking Andrew Wiggins and he started hunting Jordan Poole. So there's going to be probably some adjustments having to be made by Steve Kerr there to figure out how to stop John Moran because he was just dribbling around everybody. <laughs> yeah. Or you just hope that, you know, John Morant can't repeat this again Yeah, <laughs> on your home court. And uh, yeah, no, they will have to find a way to hide Jordan Poole so that he doesn't get switched on to Morant as much. But man, Morant Morant did play possessed in the last five minutes of that game. Like I don't think I don't remember him missing a single shot. And we we talked about this before the podcast, but his free throws have been spectacular mm-hmm. too. I mean, not that he's a bad free throw shooter, but he's not been this good. Yeah. Until this series, yeah. Like he's just making every clutch thing he needs to. But the the question's gonna be, I think, moving forward. I think well, there's multiple questions right now. One is Dylan Brooks gonna get suspended (laughs) i think he deserves to be suspended but i don't think he actually will but oh man that was a pretty dirty play Mm -hmm. and you know it sucks that it's like obviously it's it's john morant's primary defender that this dude took out and obviously it's not as bad as if steph curry clay thompson or draymond green was the one that had to go out for an injury well, actually, Draymond did have to go out because he got elbowed in the face yeah. and then he flipped off the crowd. Oh, man. Yeah, this this has gotten very chippy very quick. I would not be surprised if a fight bro- broke out in a future game, mm-hmm. especially with the Warriors having home court and the fans egging them on. I could definitely see something getting out of hand very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is a dicey series. Just is Dylan Brooks getting suspended? I think so. I mean, especially given that you do, especially okay. given that Gary Payton actually fractured his elbow and it's the final yeah. call that's been made. So because of that impact, I think the league's going to come down and suspend him. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see because it's like, obviously did Dylan Brooks want him to break his elbow? I doubt it. I mean, it's not like he like maybe he was angry in the moment, but I don't think he wants to ruin Gary Payton the second's career. Mm-hmm. And just when this kid's like starting to take off, you know, like that's just that that's a that's a thing off the court, right? Like you don't want your fellow players to like lose their livelihood because you injured them. Like that's just not cool. Yeah. Hey. So I don't think he meant to do it, 
and then you can make the same argument. Like Draymond Green had a pretty dirty play in Game One, and he did not get suspended. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think they'll it, it, maybe it'll be something similar. Um, but yeah, I don't think he'll get suspended. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's just such a boneheaded move for Dylan Brooks to go and foul that hard. I mean, he's the the team's best perimeter defender, big energy boost throughout the year. I mean, he missed a good portion of the second half of the year, but still like huge, huge piece. Um, and for him to go out there, it did allow, uh, it did allow Zaire Williams to go out there and, and actually score pretty decently though. Yeah. And I think that's a good transition over to, to, to basically, I think the, one of the takeaways from game two, I think I'm, I'm hearing everybody basically mention this is, yeah, <laughs> you take you get John Moran to go off for 47 points. But really, when you look at the Grizzlies box score in game two, it's an ugly one. And they got yeah. <laughs> so lucky to have walked away with this win. Uh, mm-hmm. Dylan Brooks, obviously, we chat about that. Three minutes gets ejected. Jaron Jackson Jr. Three for 14. Only get only manages to stay on the floor fouled for 29 minutes. Fouled out again. <laughs> Back to business. And yep. it, on a, such a ridiculous boneheaded foul, um, just <laughs> totally just throws down Draymond, just swings him around, throws him around when he's in trying yeah. to set a pick. Um, nobody really gets even close to 50%. Well, nobody really gets into double figures outside of Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark with 10, who goes four for four. Solid, what you would expect. Um, but outside of that, Zaire Williams, five for nine, 14 points, five rebounds, huge game for his career, uh, relative for himself, including two big threes in the fourth quarter. But I mean, you need more than just like, you know, big nights relative for a rookie. You need solid mm. vets to have big games like yeah. a Jaron Jackson Jr., <laughs> a Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, um, Tyus Jones. You need some more, more from these guys or else. It's tough, man. It looks like this could be the only game Memphis wins, but it also looks like this could be a back and forth series. I don't know. There's just so many question marks with the Memphis Grizzlies. And on the point of Desmond Bain, mm-hmm. man, this what a night and day performance from him series to series. Who was I would arguably say Desmond Bain was the player of the series mm-hmm. in the Timberwolves Grizzlies series. And the Warriors have somehow figured out how to shut him down completely, or he's just not there. I don't even know what's going on with Desmond Bain right now. Do you? Yeah, there is chat. There's there's chats that he's got some back issues, um, oh. and he did look a little wounded out there. He didn't really look quite like himself. But I mean, they they got they got a few days off. You got game. Game three, not until Saturday. So you got a few games off. So hopefully Desmond Bain can get some therapy on there and maybe figure something out. Charles Barkley was suggesting he try acupuncture and I've done acupuncture and I think it helps. And I think it it helps a lot in terms of providing relief. Uh, it doesn't he cure also anything. Said he tried out um, what hor- some horse, uh, oh. <laughs> some horse drugs too. Yeah, the DMSO. <laughs> funny enough, I yeah the DMSO. Funny enough, I've also tried that before. Uh, yeah. I can't. Did that work for you? I don't think so. I mean, I don't really know if I knew what I was doing, but uh, I guess you're not a thoroughbred. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I guess not. Uh, But yeah, the Grizzlies just they need to try to figure something out and figure out how they can get more from their team. And this other note that I wanted to make in terms of how lucky they were to win this game, the Warriors, too, on their side had some some clunkers. Steph Curry, three for 11 Mm -hmm. from three. Andrew Wiggins, yeah. one for seven. Overall, as a team, 18% from the three-point yeah. line. I can't remember the mm-hmm. last time I saw a prime Warriors team yeah. shoot like that. Yeah, so I think I saw some stat, I think from basketball reference, that said that was like the sixth worst three-point shooting that the Warriors have ever had in franchise history mm-hmm. for like minimum 15 attempts. Yeah. Yeah, this is awful. Eighteen percent from three. It's just it's- yeah, that that doesn't happen to this team. Mm-hmm. So because yeah, I mean that's, that goes back to what I said at the beginning of um this talking about this game was that they didn't really look like the clutch team we are used to seeing in game one, and then game two Curry was missing a lot of open threes. 
mm-hmm. like he had very standard three pointers for him that he was just clunking. And then obviously you mentioned Clay Thompson with a traveling call. Yeah. And then they had that play where they were only down three and they needed they needed a shot and Draymond Green like lost the ball. <laughs> he like chucked it over to Poole who chucked it cross court to Curry. It, it just yeah, it was just a big mess mm-hmm. for the Warriors, honestly. And they yeah, they just looked all out of sorts. And that's not something we're used to seeing from them. This is, this is the veteran. They're not supposed to look like the team that doesn't know what they're doing. They've been through this a million times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And Clay Thompson. Back to him. We talked about him in game one. Game two, I think it was the worst playoff game I've ever seen him. And he looked like a mm-hmm. different guy. Two for 12 from three, yeah. five for 19 from the field, um, 12 points. He was out there for 41 minutes, so he gave Steve Kerr all the time he needed just because they needed yeah. somebody with some sheer size. Is this, is this still just rust for him? Or is it more? Is, I don't know. Is there something else going on? Like, is he not fully healthy? It's, is he just rusty? I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I feel like he got a lot of good looks in that fourth quarter. He did. He really did. And the Mem- again, Memphis was so lucky those were not knocked down. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's rust. Maybe it is a point of exhaustion. Forty-one minutes for, seems like a lot for Clay Thompson, who's just you know who's, yeah. whose first year is back in last two years. Um, can he adjust and come back better? I think this is like really bad. This was like a really bad game. So I think he will, we will see him come back better than this. Uh, so all mm-hmm. that it to say is that Memphis won, but it was not a very convincing win. And if there's one team that I think can fix these woes, it's the Warriors, especially because mm-hmm. they're going back. They're going back to, to San Francisco back home. And it's going to be a rough one for Memphis. If they cannot figure out who else can contribute to their team. Um, against this against this warrior team because i don't think the warriors are shooting 18 percent from three again no definitely not at home either Mm -hmm. and yeah but i I don't know i think memphis memphis has one more good game in them i think that they'll get game five but i think the warriors will still win this in six games on their home court you got the warriors in six that's i think yeah i'm going my gut feeling tells me the warriors like the celtics just have more pieces the question marks with Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks mm-hmm. being suspended. I don't think Jaron Jackson. Jaron Jackson just is doing stuff that we've seen him do all season. Is boneheaded fouls, not able to stay on the court. It's tough to build rhythm with a guy like that. Um, my gut feeling tells me the Warriors will also win this in six, but I'm not going to mm-hmm. go with that. I believe in this Memphis <laughs> team. John Morant looks like a superstar in the making. He looks like he's truly. He does. He looks like he may be the best player on the court the last two games. Like, honestly, yeah, honestly, I don't think many people could disagree with that. I mean, the way that Steph looked game one was it wasn't spectacular, mm-hmm. but John Morant has been just amazing through these eight games he's played in the playoffs so far. It's yeah, he he has ascended to be a superstar. Yeah, right now it looks like the only point guard better than him is Luca. Like he looks like he's the second best point Man, guard yeah. in this league right now. Uh, I don't know, and it's close between the two of them, honestly. I mean, they're both putting up some absurd numbers right now. Yeah. So because of that, I I'm still gonna go Memphis in seven. I like it. Stick to your guns, <laughs> man. Stick stick to your boy right there. Yeah. I'm going Memphis in seven. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> Uh, why not right yeah. why not you know we, we we talk about you know it's like oh the warriors are back oh the suns look pretty good is anyone seriously talking about memphis having a chance at winning the title this year i don't really think so no and this is the team that's the second best record in the league this year we can't forget that yeah. like they are very good top five in offensive rating and defensive rating in the regular season yeah so why not right why not memphis yeah and uh, and a check in there on five thirty eight. Both of these teams have an eight and five percent chance of winning the, the NBA Warriors finals. being eight percent. The Warriors okay. at eight and the Grizzlies at five, yeah. according to five thirty eight. Okay. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, moving on now to the back. No, moving on east to the Eastern Conference. The Heat just taking care of business against the 76ers up two zero in what's been. Not the very most 
exciting series. And I think, unfortunately, yeah. we kind of figured that going into it uh, with Joel Embiid out with his orbital, with the orbital fracture slash concussion and really no word on when he might come back. Uh, the uh, Miami Heat takes it 106-92 uh, in game one, and they also take it uh, to today uh, win game two. So 119 to 103. And even that was not really a good indication of like how the fourth quarter played out where Miami was in control for most of that, mm-hmm. most of that game. Um, I mean, this may be the series I have the least to say, cause it, to me, it looks yeah. like unless <laughs> the 76ers get Joel and beat back or somehow the Philadelphia crowd really adds more energy to this team. I think it looks like an obvious sweep here to me. Yeah, the crowd will definitely help, but yeah. And Doc Rivers said that Embiid is improving. You know, he's the only thing that I think can prevent a sweep at this point. And it's possible he comes back. I mean, the dude was playing through a torn ligament in his thumb. So I feel like the only thing stopping him now is the concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. So as long as he can come back from that, I don't think he cares about his skull being bashed in. I don't think he cares about his thumb being completely ripped apart. He's going to get out there and play as soon as he can. Um, the dude's a tough customer. And so I think he will return for one of these home games coming up. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's game three or game four, but he will help prevent a sweep and it will be a five game series. Yeah. But you know, it's more pride at that point than anything. Right. I mean, we're like, okay, well this is James Harden's time to like show that like they brought him in for a reason. And, all it's done is indicate to us that James Harden is no longer a superstar in this league. We have seen the decline officially Mm -hmm. in my mind. He is no longer a superstar. He is not an all NBA player. And honestly, the nets probably got out of a pretty bad situation. Well, not (laughs) any better situation with Ben Simmons, but you know, this guy is not worth the money that he commands right now. And all he is is really a facilitator on offense. He's not even the guy shooting the most, which, I mean, a, a team with James Harden on it and James Harden isn't getting the most shots is saying something, right? Like Tyrese Maxey has become the offensive primary weapon for this team. And Tobias Harris has kind of been second fiddle. Mm-hmm. So, and he's he's been taking a backseat all season long. and And now it seems like Harden is willing to be the third option still when it's like dude what what are you doing like we need you to be james harden and he just doesn't have it anymore yeah yeah in game one tobias harris and tyrese maxi both uh made more attempts than james harden uh james harden shooting 38 percent and 28 percent from three 38 from the Oof. field for the series um yeah i mean i think we got early indications of that even in the first round that this is definitely not the james harden of the past and i'm I'm surprised that there isn't for way more urgency on his side because he's on the verge of getting this probably his last big contract in the NBA. And if I'm the 76 the title too. Yeah. And if I'm the 76ers, I'm definitely shying away from any big number uh towards the end of this year, which is a shame because you might have just given away your asset for, for a guy that you're probably not going to be willing to sign. But then again, I don't know. It's so risky if any team is going to actually give him that much money either, given what he's putting together these last few games. Uh, but conversation possibly for for the offseason. But the other thing about the Miami Heat is the Miami Heat are looking a lot better than I thought they would in the playoffs. <laughs> and, so deep. Too. Yeah. And one of the key reasons to call out is, uh, you know, Gabe Vincent looks good. Strass looks good. Max Struess, Max Struess yeah. looks good. And, Victor Olipo, man. Victor Olipo's back, back. man. How exciting is that? I'm so excited that he has actually been a huge contributor. I mean, we didn't get to talk about this, but he helped close Mm -hmm. out the series in in the first round when Jimmy Butler was out. Right. He became the primary option. He scored like 30-something points. It was amazing. Yeah, and he had 19 points again in game two. Um, And... He's he's doing it, man. He it, he may not be the primary offensive option, but he's in option off the bench. That just gives the Miami Heat just yeah. just another another piece just to throw out there at teams. And 
wow, it's going to be quite the X factor when it comes to when it comes to them in the Eastern Conference Finals and in the NBA mm-hmm. Finals if if they make it there. Yeah, I'm excited for this man though. He's gonna like be get an actual good contract now mm-hmm. in the offseason because he's showing that he can play again. Yeah. The other interesting one is Duncan Robinson DMP in game one and played one minute in game two. Whew. Former young prospect who got the big deal just two years ago. Uh it just seemed it has not really been out there. <laughs> For the Miami Heat. I don't want to. I don't want to say I called it, man. When he got that stupid contract, what five years, ninety million? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say I called it, but I said that was the dumbest contract of the offseason. And here we are, deep in the playoffs, and this man isn't even worth playing in garbage time. Yeah. What does that say? Does that say to you that? They think Duncan Robinson is like not a good matchup in this series in particular, or the fact that Victor Oladipo is here and able to play those shooting guard minutes that Duncan Robinson is no longer necessary at all. Yeah, I think I think it's just there's better options. There's Victor Oladipo, yeah. Max Struess. Uh, yeah, the fact that Max Struess jumped Duncan Robinson in the rotation like this dude is not duncan robinson is not that good a basketball player Mm -hmm. that's it yeah and you have tyler harrow who's also taken a a step forward in his development Mm -hmm. it's almost like why would you play duncan robinson and tyler harrow i mean you can just play tyler harrow and a pretty decent offensive player but significantly better defensively than duncan robinson in the options that you have in those other guys yeah so it's like, yeah, Duncan Robinson's, I mean, he's really only good for like a three point burst every few games, mm-hmm. you know, like in, I think in game one of uh, the first round, he was like eight of nine from three. And like, that's crazy. Like, obviously that's pretty good, but like he can't do that consistently. And so you can't rely on him game in game out. Yeah. I like, I like what Miami has put together. This team looks a lot better than I thought they would have. Um, I give this game a sweep. I don't really think Joel Embiid is going to come back. And if he does come back, I think he's the man's taking so many hits now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad, man. man. The Sixers looked really good, especially when they first got James Harden. They looked unbeatable. But yeah, the cracks have become that become very deep and they're out on display for everyone to see. Yeah, you're calling it in five games still, Sean? Or you? St- I'll say five if Embiid returns just because. The dude is a tough customer. He's going to go down swinging. Yeah. Okay. I respect that. Uh, oh, back out to the West. Suns just easily this is a sad series beating too. Dallas 2-0. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. Dallas has Luka. They have Jalen Brunson. They got the keys that helped them against Utah, but the Suns are a special one. They got Devin Booker back, and they've been rolling. And tonight, the game was close, but Devin Booker went on a good run. Chris Paul did his thing and uh, they put this team away. Final score, 129, 109. Devin Booker for 30 points. being a blowout. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Huge blowout. Chris Paul, 28 points. Uh, Yeah, basically those two and just a a very balanced (laughs) attack from the rest of the team. I mean, DeAndre Aiden had kind of okay game, three for six from the field, but... Well, he didn't even play very much. He kind of got phased out of this game specifically, which is crazy because he had a really good game one. Mm -hmm. Yep, and Luca had his himself a monster game tonight too. 35 points, 5 rebounds, <laughs> 13 for 22, but it's just not enough. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Jason Kidd basically played everybody that was suited up except for Boban tonight, uh, and nobody oh, could. Why doesn't Boban get any minutes? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why? It's come on. You gave Frank Nielakita five minutes. Why? <laughs> Yeah, nobody was really able to to respond. And I mean, the Suns are a good team. They, they've been rolling on all cylinders all year. They had the rough patch without Devin Booker against the Pelicans. But yeah, they're, they're just steamrolling Dallas. I think... What do you have to lose playing Boban? What do you have to lose? Yeah. At this point? You might as well, right? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he doesn't want to go out there either down... Down 20 yeah, points. Getting, yeah, this dude has so many endorsements for being a guy that gets no basketball playing time at all. Yeah. 
Like, he's on all these State Farm commercials. He got to be in a John Wick movie. Like, yeah, he's more of a celebrity than a basketball player at this point. Oh, yeah, he makes that State Farm commercial for me. I love seeing him in there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's just too good of a balance attack for the Suns. Now that Devin Booker's back at full strength, it's, it's... honestly just an unfair matchup mm-hmm. and it's it's crazy to see like this dallas team was playing pretty well they all of their role players played pretty well in that utah series and they've just completely vanished in this series mm-hmm. phoenix has completely stifled them the only one that can do anything is luca i mean 47 points in game one 35 in game two he is feasting Jalen Brunson has disappeared. Yep. And that, that's your second option right there. The dude was geared up to get a huge deal in the offseason. Maybe his stock is going on a bit of a roller coaster now because he looks like a very average player in this series. Yeah. I mean, the Suns are just the Suns shooting 50% from the field, 40% <laughs> from three. Yeah. They're just doing whatever they want against Dallas, and Dallas is having a hard time really attacking their defense with anybody else outside of outside of Luca. And I mean, the other thing about it is it kind of just shows like also how bad Utah is too. I hate to bring them back really up, but does. Uh, I mean, Dallas really swiped right through them without Luca. And now they're having a really tough time against the Suns. Um, I don't know. I think kid try, has tried to made some adjustments and tried some things in game two for has got 19 minutes tonight. Um, he hasn't tried playing Bobin. Yeah. What do you got to lose? Jason kid, put him in. They won't know what hit him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But let's also talk about how Chris Paul is a man on a mission Mm -hmm. because in the closeout series against the Pelican, in the closeout game against the Pelicans, he shot 14 of 14 from the field Mm. to close them out. And now in this game, he shot 11 of 16 to just destroy Dallas, especially in the fourth quarter. I mean, this this dude looks like he's in his prime right now <laughs> at age 36. He's playing unbelievable. Yeah. 20, he's averaging almost 22 points per game in the playoffs this year so far. This is a high. The last time he averaged anything close to that was back in 2016. When he was crazy back when he was with the (laughs) LA Clippers, he's at almost 22 points a game, 96% free throw shooting uh, and 56% from the field. Whoa. This is essentially his best, his best shooting performance in the playoffs in his career. If he keeps this up and he's just been efficient, he knows his spots and he knows when to, when to take over and when not to. Um, So yeah, you're right. He's, he's been on fire so (laughs) far. Unreal. Yeah, I yeah, the Phoenix has to be the team with the highest probability to win the title this year, right? They're at thirty eight percent chance, according to five thirty eight, to win the NBA Oof. championships. Um, those are some good odds. Yeah, with this many teams left, wow. Yeah, you got the Celtics at twenty five percent and the Heat at eleven. Um, essentially, it's the Suns over everybody <laughs> coming out of the yeah. West, according to five thirty eight. Man, I think Suns Heat would be a very good finals Mm -hmm. obviously a predictable one if they're both one seeds but man the way those two teams look right now i i don't see any reason why they wouldn't meet up at this point yeah i think so as well so what do you think sean suns 2-0 over dallas yeah it's a sweep you're calling it a sweep it's a sweep if luca scores 47 and it's still a blowout there's just no chance Okay. Jalen Brunson is, yeah, he's just been phased out of this series. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think they have the firepower to contend with Phoenix. They just have them beat on every, at every level of the game, except for Luca. Yeah. I think I'm going to give Dallas one game. I think they can win one game in Dallas. Really? You're going to give Dallas one game. You're not going to give Philadelphia one game. No, no, I'm not really health. Wow. Basically because of health really, but <laughs> I think Dallas can muster together one win. It not that they're going back home. So who's gonna who's gonna step up? I think Jalen Brunson can have a big game. You think he will? All yeah, right. he's got to have one. Maybe being at home will help. Maybe mm-hmm. Jason Kidd might figure something out enough to win one game, five games. I give it five games. Suns winning five. Hmm. 
All right. It's more of the same. <laughs> it's a sweeper. It's a gentleman's sweep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, rounding out here, the first round is now over. There's eight teams that got sent packing. The Nets, Raptors, Hawks, Bulls, Jazz, Wolves, Nuggets, and Pelicans. Um, out of all these teams, I guess, Sean, the, the, the one to start off with is who was the biggest surprise here out of all these guys who actually showed up and gave a fight? So I'll say none of these were really surprised mm-hmm. because every team that was a favorite in their series won and they won pretty convincingly. Mm-hmm. I'll say the biggest surprise is that the Nets got swept. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And a distant second would be the fact that the Pelicans won two games. Yeah. True. Yeah. Which to be fair, I think Devin Booker was hurt for one of those. But yeah, I'd say that's pretty surprising. But other than that, no, like all of this makes a lot of sense to me. But there's there's gonna be some interesting storylines for a lot of these teams. I think the Nets are unfortunately going to be a headline going into the offseason. Uh, I mean, I'm just I'm tired of talking about them. It's much like the Lakers. They get a lot of press with not a lot of results. <laughs> and a lot of that's because of Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right after that series, he, he started blasting the media for, for their coverage of the nets and how they, they spun the narrative all year. And uh, Stephen, a sounded off on him uh, right after that happened. I don't know if you saw that, but it's definitely worth a, worth a watch if you haven't. <laughs> yeah, I also saw the quote where Kyrie Irving said him and uh, Kevin Durant and basically called the Nets ownership by name, said they need to go back and figure out what's important for, for this team and what they need to do. Uh, Adam just came off yeah. as very arrogant, as, as if like he truly... Yeah, as if he had control. Yeah, as if he truly owned this team or something like right i don't know as if they like if he he was uh gonna be part of the solution when he's been part of the problem exactly the exactly he's not lebron james you know no, no he is not <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he'll ever get out of lebron's shadow at this point uh yeah i mean he's i don't know if maybe that's an effect as to why he's so who he is but <laughs> in a way it's almost working against him um yeah anyways biggest disappointment you think out of all these guys all these teams somebody you i guess that's not the nets that's not the i mean the jazz yeah the the jazz continue to be just a middling team in the playoffs they can barely make it out of the first round most years um they haven't in, in recent years and it's time it's time for them to blow it up i mean we've been talking about it for gosh two three years now like is this team have what it takes and they come back with the same damn lineup every single year yeah some years they come back with jordan clarkson and they think that's gonna be enough some years they come back with boyan dogvanovich and that they think that's gonna be enough and it never is yeah and yeah this team just can't work together I, i love quinn snyder i think he's a hell of a coach i love donovan mitchell Rudy Gobert is is good. I, I, they have to get rid of Rudy Gobert. Uh, they have to rebuild the the whole roster. They got to get rid of Royce O'Neal. You cannot start Royce O'Neal for a contending playoff team. <laughs> Royce O'Neal is not good. Someone please tell these people that Royce O'Neal is not good, and he gets thirty five minutes a game. It's absurd. Yeah, it just sort of sucks because the Hawks, I feel like, rode their way uh, up into playoff contention off the backs of being a defensive identifying team. And then they moved away from that over the last few years and bringing Bojan and an older Mike Conley, uh, signing Jordan Clarkson to fill sort of the offensive boys that was a weakness on the other, in the other version of their team. And then they slowly moved to this version where now they struggled, even though they have the defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, they struggle so hard defensively from the perimeter that it sort of makes it makes it easy for other teams to expose Rudy Gobert's yeah. weakness is weakness, which is like bringing him out to the perimeter, and he has to go out there because all his other counterparts are so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he chooses not to, and then he just gives up the open three, right? It, and that happened. That happened many times in the Dallas series. Yeah, exactly. So 
I sympathize with Gobert in that end that like he's sort of getting the 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 bad end of the stick, yeah. but it's not completely his fault. It's just the identity of this team has moved away yeah. so much towards the offensive end, and and it has worked. They were the they've been the number one three point shooting team this year and last year, um, but it just doesn't really result in wins if you're so so far on the other side of the spectrum that you can't get stops off the perimeter. Um, so yep. it sort of stinks because if you trade Gobert, then you become an even weaker team. You might even be you might be talking like pretty. Well, it depends what you trade him yeah, for. Yeah, depends what you get back. Trade Donovan Mitchell. The team is just sort of you can't yeah. replace Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. That's the thing. Is like if if this is uh you have to choose between me and Mitchell, like Gobert and Mitchell, you're gonna pick Mitchell. Yeah, he's irreplaceable. Yeah, exactly. So. We'll see what happens. The other call out here is the Jazz were recently also purchased with a new ownership group. Dwayne Wade being a piece of it. Dwayne Wade. And, and you know, I forget. He's not getting rid of Mitchell, yeah. man. That's his protege. So <laughs> I think this ownership group buys in. I don't think they want to re- hit a rebuild period now that they just bought this fancy team that's been in the playoffs for the last four years. They're going to try to figure something out, I hope. Uh, if they can, which is there's not that's what there's the only one option though. Mm-hmm. I mean, what else are you gonna do to make this team better? It's obviously not ready. Yeah, we'll we'll see what they put together, but I gotta think they're gonna be pushing hard to try to still stay afloat in, in the playoff picture. Um, yeah, they'll make the playoffs. They'll just lose the first round again if they try to run it back. Yeah, the other one I was gonna say in terms of disappointment and was really the Chicago Bulls. Uh. I think they just kind of. Did you really think they're going to beat the Bucks? Though I didn't think they were going to beat the Bucks, and that's the thing. It's like the disappointing end of it is sort of like how long they rode as like a hot team on the Eastern Conference, and then just how they sort of fell. Their stock sort of fell the last month, putting them yeah. in a first round series against the Milwaukee Bucks, where they only <laughs> won what one game? Did they only win one game? They won one game, yeah. Which I mean, to be fair. It's like you didn't have Zach Levine because he got into uh, health and safety protocols in that game five. Caruso got injured. Yeah. Lonzo wasn't there the whole time. They they had the odds stacked against them. Yeah. For a while now. It just sort of sucks that you have this great regular season and it just doesn't come together for you in the in, in the playoffs. I was excited to see this team at full health uh, in the playoffs, but they got stuck with the Bucks. Yeah. Health was an issue, so. Yeah, disappointing end to them there. Yeah. I am hopeful for a few of these teams though. Mm-hmm. Even though they got didn't make it out of the first round, I think from the west side mainly, um the Timberwolves, the Timber Pups mm-hmm. looked like they had a lot more fight than people gave them credit for. I thought Memphis might have swept them in the first round. They ended up, you know, <laughs> they could have won the whole damn series if they weren't so bad at the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I and mean, they had double digit leads in multiple of these games and choked it away. But a lot to look forward to because Anthony Edwards looks like a superstar in the making. Averaged 25 points a game on 40% from three. Also had o- over one steal and one block per game in the series. So he looks like he's arrived. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be hungry for more. You know he's going to be back. Um, a little concerning, though, is D'Angelo Russell. And this is a guy that we've been high on in the past. And we saw him basically disappear and even get benched for Jordan McLaughlin down multiple fourth quarter stretches. Which, and if I'm D'Angelo Russell getting benched for Jordan McLaughlin in an important game, what does that mean? It's yeah, and it's not only that, it's his first big playoff series, and he's getting paid what $35 million this year. And he's up Something for crazy. Yeah, he's up for yeah, he's got one more year on his contract, but essentially he's eligible for an extension in the summer. Yeah, there's gonna be some question marks on whether this guy yeah. will ever see $30 million again in his career if he can't even really get minutes in the playoffs. So D'Angelo Russell's got himself some homework to try to redeem himself this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very concerned for him, man. Like, I don't know what happened with that. I feel like that's a story that no one really talked about. So we'll see where it goes. But I, I'm loving me some Anthony Edwards, man. Yeah. I made I made the hot take. He could be the face of the NBA one day. 
I still stand by that. Yeah. He, he's done nothing but make me feel better about that. Yeah, you bought in early, and uh, you might just very well win huge on this. Yeah, I was really impressed with Anthony Edwards in this playoff series, and I think he's gonna. he has a lot of takeaways. I mean, the big one being that gamble st- steal attempt on John Moran with close on the closing seconds, which essentially yeah, gave him that was hurt. Yeah, gave him the ability <laughs> to sort of catch steam and make that for, make that layup to to win that game. Uh, I mean, and there's a lot of those other other little tidbits. I think that he's going to be able to take away from his first playoff series, and they might be well granted because he might see John Moran a few times in his career. In the next coming playoffs, yeah, that could that could start to become a fun rivalry between those two. That would that would be a good one. I'd I'd tune in for that any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's little things to fix, little mistakes for for this team. The Wolves with that, uh, the Carl Anthony Town fouls that he was putting together in, in a few of these yeah. games. Uh, so I think they fix some of those things, and I could see the Timberwolves advancing to the second round in a few years. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then for the Nuggets, obviously, hopefully they can be healthy next year. I want to see Jamal Murray back out on the court. That would be great for just NBA fans in general. Mm -hmm. And then the Pelicans, man, they might be on to something here with with this lineup they've got brewing. And Ingram looked fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, 27 points a game in this series against the Suns. You know, great, a great team. And six rebounds, six assists on 45% three-point shooting, which is definitely not real for Brendan Ingram. But he showed up when he needed to. And then between him, you got CJ McCollum, obviously, Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado, two rookies stepping up in big-time moments in the playoffs already. There's a lot to be excited about. And we got a quote from Zion saying he would resign in an instant if an extension was offered to him, which... It was very contradictory to everything we've been hearing throughout the season. So going to be a very interesting one for the Pelicans who they're going to basically come back with the same roster next season mm-hmm. and we'll see what they can do with the, with CJ McCollum there for the full year. Yeah. The, the last, those last three weeks for the Pelicans were huge. Probably the most important yeah. three weeks for this <laughs> NBA franchise since probably the draft lottery when they got Zion. Uh, right. like the fact that they were able to put it together, win in the play and go from being a 10 seed to the eight seed and then play against the Suns and Devin Booker goes down. Then it gives them the window to win two games. It's huge. That might've been the convincing point for Zion to give this, give a stage like that for Brandon Ingram to really showcase that he's improved because he was pretty inconsistent throughout the regular season, but yeah. he's, he put it together here. And I think if he can put, he can put performances like this, like, Wow, we might be talking about Brandon Ingram tapping into the top twenty-five, top twenty players in the league uh, in in a few years. Um, why not? Yeah. Why not? Right? Why not? Yeah, <laughs> with the passing of the baton here. Um, but yeah, I think the question, the big question marks for these teams, it's like Zion. Obviously, if he's healthy, what does this team look like? How does Brandon? Can Brandon Ingram replicate these performances with Zion Williams on the roster? Uh, I don't know. Can they do a tandem of like what Giannis and Chris Middleton have going, or are they a little bit of redundant? Are redundancies in their skill sets? I don't know. They're big question marks just because we haven't seen mm-hmm. a lot of these two guys play together. Even last last year when Zion was healthy for the bigger part of the year, Brandon Ingram wasn't always there. So, right. So I mean, the other the other, I guess the bright spot though is that Herbert Jones, Jose Alvarado, Jonas. These are good pieces to keep on the roster. So if Zion comes back yeah. and him and Ingram can mesh well, this is a dangerous team. Yeah. And they're likely to still get a high lottery pick because they got that Lakers yeah. pick, which is going to look pretty juicy. That's right. They have the <laughs> Laker pick. What the play in tournament is just such a crazy thing where like you can finish as low as the 10th seed, get a decent lottery pick. And still make the playoffs. And still make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but they they earned it though. That I mean, they won two games against the number one seed, and I don't think that the Clippers or oh gosh, what was the Spurs? Yeah, the Spurs was the other option. The I, I don't think either of those teams would have got two games against the Suns. So they they earned their spot. I think out of all the teams, they had the best shot. Yeah. Actually, just realized that was I made a mistake on my part. The Pelicans were the ninth seed, who 
Oh, were the Spurs the 10th yeah, seed? Yeah, Spurs were the 10th seed. Okay. So the Pelicans, still, they won two games to get into the playoffs. So, yeah, it's not that's not that's not a bad run for them. The last those last three weeks. Not at all. Um, yeah. On the note of the Lakers, though, final thoughts to close <laughs> the podcast out. Rumor is that Phil Jackson oh, is no. helping the Lakers find their next coach no. next year. Had to talk about the Lakers. Oh, uh, I don't know, man. What is Phil Jackson doing in L.A. consulting with the Lakers? Yeah, why does he care anymore? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Can the Lakers just please hire the best available coach instead of... Who is the best available coach? I don't know. Well, I guess it depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just... This isn't... This doesn't mean anything good for me. In my, I just don't know. They're just grasping for straws. They're like, oh yeah, Phil Jackson. We were good when he played or when he coached for us. Hey, what should we do? <laughs> yeah, I I, I like, feel I iffy know, about man. this. Not sure I feel great about it. Although the Kings are closer to are apparently rumored to be close to hiring Mark Jackson, which yeah. on the other side of it seems a lot worse than just having Phil Jackson as a consultant. But that's just my personal opinion. But yeah. Unless Phil Jackson can work his work some kind of Zen mag- master magic to get <laughs> Quinn Snyder to LA. I don't know. That's not I, I don't oh, know man. what he's doing yeah, there. There's no way. Quinn Snyder's got a nice cushy job in Utah. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else could have got that roster to perform as well as it has given the talent. I think that the most likely situation at this point is that I think there's a couple Toronto assistant coaches that are potentials for the Lakers. I think they're going to hire one of those guys. It'll be someone we haven't heard of before Mm -hmm. because the high profile name coaches have not worked. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how it goes for LA, but that's the final thought. Bill Jackson used some magic to get the Lakers a good head coach, but thanks everybody (laughs) for tuning in and uh, we'll continue to break down the NBA playoffs here. Thanks everyone. Have a good week, everybody.